Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Zynga from ABC's On the Red Carpet. I'm Jeffrey from D23. And I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And together, we are taking you Inside Disney. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, 2023. Yay. Woo-hoo. 2020 D23 Inside 2020 Disney Podcast. D23. Yes. Ooh, love it. <laughs> Sherry, it is wonderful to see you. Oh, great to see you too, Jeffrey. I'm bummed we don't have Zynga with us this week. She's still enjoying some holiday fun, but she was with us when we spoke with Bob Weiss, who mm-hmm. is the global Imagineering ambassador and former president of Walt Disney Imagineering on the heels of his retirement. Woo. He has some great, great stories. The largest hidden Mickey that none of us knew existed. Even Jeffrey. I, even me. <laughs> and I am pretty confident in my Disney geekdom. So (laughs) all of the incredible attractions and resorts he's worked on. So stick around for that. Sherry, did you do your uh, spaghetti and cocoa? I did. I did my spaghetti and cocoa. It was delicious as always. If anyone out there tried it this New Year's, I doubt it. But if anyone did, just let me know. I'd love to hear your experience. Like I said, I saw the spaghetti on your Instagram, but I did mm-hmm. not see the cocoa. I, I don't know if I missed it. By the it. time you messaged me, the cocoa was in my belly. So it was there, yeah. but didn't have time to photograph it. There you it's go. Too hot, too delicious. <laughs> Other than your spaghetti and cocoa junior Disney fun stuff. <laughs> I watched Le Pupil on Disney Plus, the short film that Jeffrey, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's so good. It's all about orphans and the nuns watching over them and one delicious looking cake it is sweet it is funny it is warm it is wonderful it's kind of a christmas movie but you know what christmas is all year for me so watch it if you haven't seen it (laughs) i'm in i'm in i watched a lot of stuff Ooh, tell me I watched the Disney Parks Christmas Day Parade on ABC. So much fun. Yeah, go yellow gingerbread man. (laughs) It's always so fun. I I just love, I I mean, I just love it. And Derek and Julianne were terrific. And having Cherry Cola and friend of the pod, Marcus Scribner at Disneyland. They were, everyone was just so, so charming and fun. I'm very into it. And sticking with ABC, I, of course, watched Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest. Mm-hmm. Had some friends over to uh, ring in the new year, and we all had pizza and champagne and and watched Ryan rock it in and loved all the little Disneyland segments that, that were uh, in there. Very fun to see Aww. them broadcasting from Disneyland. Pizza and champagne is like similar to spaghetti and cocoa-ish. Is it? <laughs> Because I feel like everything goes with champagne, but maybe I'm just everything goes with cocoa. Does it? Does (laughs) it? I don't know, like tuna fish and cocoa. I'm not. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. (laughs) And then I binged the first, I think, uh, four episodes of National Treasure: Edge of History, which is so good. Uh, Harvey Keitel's appearance at Justin Bartha's, uh, they're uh, and the the whole new cast. They're all just terrific. So. Big, big fan of that. Cannot wait to see where that heads. We got a few news items to get to, though. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that are coming up, maybe you saw, but on New Year's Day, January 1st, ABC 
kicked off a month of the wonderful world of Disney airing fan favorite movies. They're going to be airing every Sunday night in January. And we've got one that's coming up. It's part of five fantastic things to watch. You have to stick around to hear which it is, but also Finding Nemo, Iron Man, and the Avengers. Lots of fun stuff to watch on ABC. Amazing. Well, since January is here, that also means it's Wondrous Journey's debut month. Yeah! Details have been revealed about Wondrous Journeys, which is the new nighttime spectacular coming to Disneyland January 27th. This is all part of the Disney 100 celebration and will feature 100 years of Walt Disney Animation Studios with nods to every single feature film released by the studio over the past century. That's wow. a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. This will also feature an original new song called It's Wondrous, and you can check out a behind-the-scenes look at the recording session for the song on the Disney Parks blog and on Disney Parks YouTube. But wow, I cannot wait for this spectacular. There will be, of course, state-of-the-art projection effects, like blank pieces of paper, splashes of color, and you can see the magic of animation come to life before your very eyes. And on select nights, there will be fireworks, too. So get ready for that. Well, I feel like you kind of glossed over my favorite detail, which is Baymax uh -huh. will oh. be <laughs> soaring high above Sleeping Beauty Castle. So yes. I cannot wait to see this. I've always loved, I mean, uh, who doesn't love Tinkerbell? But I've loved when they've put in a Zero or a Dumbo. I, mm. Baymax, I am big hero ready for that. Oh, me too. Well, turning to a bit of sad news, this past weekend, Disney legend and icon of journalism barbara walters passed away at the age of 93 we loved her from her oscar specials her most fascinating people starting the view she was a pioneer in so many incredible ways interviewing the biggest names politics sports entertainment and just an incredible human being. You can read more about her remarkable life at thewaltdisneycompany.com, and she will be greatly, greatly missed. She is a true, true legend. Mm. Well, for those who somehow didn't catch Avatar The Way of Water, check it out. <laughs> Avatar The Way of Water has earned more than $1 billion worldwide, surpassed the billion-dollar mark globally after just 14 days. Wow. So it became the fastest release to cross that threshold in 2022. Wow. Wild, 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 an epic movie. Check it's it out. Epic movie. And, you know, and it just keeps going. So <laughs> I can't going. wait to see where this continues. Something else that continues... Aladdin on Broadway. It just celebrated its 3,000th performance on Broadway. Wow. And in doing so, join the list of the top 20 longest running shows. And of course, Lion King and Beauty and the Beast are already on that list. So pretty, pretty amazing. Congratulations to all of our fantastic friends at Disney on Broadway and Disney Theatrical, including Thomas Schumacher and James Monroe Iglehart. Two fabulous people. They'd be great to have on the podcast. What do you Wouldn't think, they? Shay? I think that is a great thing to put out into the universe. Hmm. Putting mm -hmm. it out there. But before I put it out there, you know what it's time for. What could it be? It's time for Five Fantastic Things to Watch This Weekend, presented by State Farm. For complete details and listings, visit d23.com. And remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Jeffrey, what's up first? Well, up first, Saturday, January 7th, 
make a plan to watch the game plan, which is about a football star who is tackled by some unexpected news that he has a young daughter. But of course, it stars like Disney icon at this point, Dwayne Johnson. So mm. tune into that at 8 a.m. Eastern Pacific on FX. Nice. Also on Saturday, it's the Disney Channel broadcast premiere of The Proud Family Louder and Prouder at 8 p.m. on, of course, Disney Channel. Yay! Yay! First two episodes. That's really cool. Yeah, really cool. Hmm. And on Sunday, Freaky Friday is airing on Freeform at 6.50 p.m. starring the one and only Jamie Lee Curtis and the one and only Lindsay Lohan. This movie has a great soundtrack. Mm. For those who know the song Ultimate by Lindsay Lohan, this is where it all began. Love that song. Hmm. Good to mm -hmm. know. Good to know. I mentioned it before, Wonderful World of Disney on ABC, the movie I didn't reveal, Beauty and the Beast, this Sunday, Aha! the 2017 live action version with Emma Watson and Dan Stevens and friend of the pod, Luke Evans. That is on at 8 p.m. on ABC. Nice. And after you're done watching Beauty and the Beast, just turn your channel over to FX at 10.30 p.m. to watch the original Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, with Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana. On to our guest, who after many decades working with Walt Disney Imagineering, is retiring. Over the years, he's overseen the design and or development of some projects you may have heard of, including Disney's Hollywood Studios, Tokyo Disney Sea, the expansion of Disney California Adventure, and Shanghai Disneyland, among many others. He's been on the pod before, and we are so happy to have him back with us. Please welcome to the show, Bob Weiss. Welcome, Bob! Hey. hey. Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. First off, you're retiring. Why is now the right time for you? Oh, well, I'll first say that I'm retiring from Disney. Oh. oh. But uh, don't plan on seeing me on a golf course or trout fishing. I, <laughs> I can't imagine myself not working and not doing interesting things all the time. So I've got some great things going on with the company still. I've got a book we're writing about Marty Sklar's history based on this massive archives project. And I'm also developing a screenplay for Disney Plus, so wow. there's plenty to That's do great. yet. So yeah, and, and that'll keep me well connected. Oh wow! All right, so let's take it back, Bob. You started in college selling popcorn and ice cream at Disneyland. What we want to know is what attractions were the must-ride back then for you? Back then, back then. Well, the summer that I worked at Disneyland, they were just completing Space Mountain. Oh, That's wow. how long ago it was, <laughs> and it was the hottest new thing coming up. So that was exciting. But I loved all the rides at Disneyland, and I grew up at Disneyland. I grew up, you know, in Southern California, going to Disneyland, going to, you know, the park all the time. And even when I worked there, I loved being there. You know, just seeing the guests and being out on the street and seeing the parades and everything. I just really, Outdoor Foods, which is called, itself was just a great job at Disneyland because you were out on the street with people all day long. You know, you weren't cooped up in an office or something like that. So I, I loved being there. But I'd say the hottest thing for the end of that summer was Space Mountain. That was the first first time it opened. Wow. Mm. That's exciting. That's oh. still a hot thing for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, from popcorn and ice cream to Walt Disney Imagineering, how did you find your way here in 1980? Well, I was in college that summer that I worked at the park. And like I said, they were working on Space Mountain, and I heard about this group, kind of a mysterious group called Wind Enterprises, and nobody really knew anything about them or how to reach them or anything like that. They were pretty secretive back then. But I was going to 
get my degree in architecture from School of Environmental Design at Cal Poly Pomona. And I kind of thought about it, but I didn't really know how to reach them at all. And it turns out one day, Wet Enterprises had a table set up in the quad at the university, and they were recruiting. And I just walked up and said, hey, I've heard about you at Disneyland. How do I apply? And so I applied, and I had a lot of elective study in theater and production design, and so it was kind of a good combination for them. And way back then, what was happening at WED at the time was they were gearing up for Epcot and Tokyo Disneyland all at the same time. It was the biggest portfolio of work they'd ever had in their history. And so a lot of us who joined 40 years ago joined right then when those projects were happening. Wow. Wow. Well, over the years, has there been one project that you've worked on that has been your favorite? You know, a lot of people ask me that question, and I ask you, like, if you had four kids, could you say that like <laughs> yes. one of them? You yes, if I did, I absolutely would. <laughs> you would have a tough time, and then the other three will be mad. All right. I don't mean to just like say it like this, but truly, every project becomes a part of your life. And our projects are not short. Our projects, you know, you could spend three, four, five. In the case of Shanghai, I spent seven years working on it. So your life is kind of measured in these big projects, and they all become a part of you. And most important, the teams become a part of your life. The teams are people you work closely with, you trust, you cover for each other, you help each other, you go through people's, you know, kids being born and growing up in the course of, of, of the projects that you work on. But I was very, very pleased and excited to be able to have a chance to work in Tokyo, on Tokyo Disneyland, on Tokyo Disney Sea, to be able to work in Shanghai in the early stages of our relationship in China, to work in Hong Kong, to work a little bit in Paris, not a lot, but in, you know, a little bit in Paris, and a lot in Florida on you know the Disney Hollywood Studios when we first built it, as, as well as on Epcot and other things. I've been really privileged to work on projects around the world and different kinds of projects. But most of all, it comes down to people. People are just so talented at Imagineering and they're so dedicated. And you become very close in the course of these projects because you're just all together for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, well, I've got to thank you for creating that magical experience because I grew up going to Tokyo Disney, so <laughs> oh, that's awesome. awesome. Let's talk about the reimagining of Disney California Adventure, which was a big deal. And in the Imagineering story, you spoke so candidly about the challenges that the park was experiencing. Now that you've had some time and distance, how did you approach all the incredible enhancements that were made? You know, I was really excited to have a chance to work on Disney California Adventure. I had not worked on the first phase The interesting thing about it was several of the most popular attractions in the entire resort were at DCA, and yet the park itself just didn't have the same magic as Disneyland. So people went over there, and they did the Tower of Terror, and they did Soarin' and these, you know, California Screaming and all these great attractions, but they would tend to finish them up and then go right back to Disneyland. And so the resort could never truly become a two-park resort if all the people are just at Disneyland and then just kind of run across the street for a little while and come back. So we had to think about what are those things that are intangible that make you love a place, a place like Disneyland. And Disneyland being the oldest of the parks, the richest, the one that Walt himself was involved with, we just looked at it and said it needs more story. It needs more of that warmth and that heart. And even though we did major attractions like Little Mermaid and Cars Land, a lot of our investment went into 
trees and signage and restaurants and the kinds of things that make people want to stroll around and enjoy the park at night. I would say one of the most important things in that reimagining was World of Color because it didn't have any sort of nighttime focus. The park didn't have any nighttime focus. And so if you have no nighttime, you have no nice restaurants, you know, you just don't have that. And so World of Color really brought back the nighttime focus. People came and they enjoyed being there, had dinner. And that, along with the big attractions like uh, Radiator Springs and the other conversions we've done since then, like Pixar Pier, have really made that park its own spirit. It's still its own park, but it feels like it's a worthy sibling to Disneyland. I did want to bring up something, and Zynga, you touched on it with Tokyo, which I think may be one of the best examples, especially Tokyo Disney Sea, of incredible placemaking and really just immersive. And then taking that idea and bringing it to California Adventure, especially with a Buena Vista Street. Can you talk about the importance of that in really setting the scene, not just for creating a place people want to stay, but creating a place that people want to discover? I remember talking to Bob Iger about the reimagining of Disney California Adventure and kind of boldly saying, we're going to tear down the entire main entrance and the entire shopping street, everything. We're going to tear it all the way back to the steel and we're going to reimagine it as if Main Street is Walt's youth. This will be what Walt first experienced when he came to Los Angeles in the 1930s. And it was a kind of a tall order to say, okay, shouldn't it be more attractions? Do you really have to tear out an entire main entrance that was only built a few years ago? And we talked about it and said, you know, when you go see a movie, if the opening, the first act, if it's not powerful, you probably never get into the movie. The rest of the movie goes by and you just never get plugged in. And we felt like if we could get the first act of DCA right, you were well on your way. And so it felt like it was really important to change your introduction to the park, the optimism you feel when you walk down Main Street, you see the castle. We just felt that that was really worth changing. And we did certain intangibles, like you know, we planted 1,200 new trees in the park. We changed signs. We changed colors to make them more Disney-like richness. They were too fluorescent. They were too, you know, it had some materials that just didn't look real like Disneyland looks. And those are the things that you say, well, do we really need to do that? And then you realize it's the sum total of everything at Disneyland that comes together, especially live entertainment, especially the red cars, especially world of color and things like that. So it was important to do all that. And I think when you think about a, a park like Tokyo Disney Sea, for instance, we had originally gone to Oriental Land Company with a concept to do the studio tour there, which we had just done in Florida. It had been very successful. And we had a lot of negotiation on it. And Oriental Land Company just never got the idea of a studio tour. They felt that Disney's not about behind the scenes. Disney's about immersive worlds, right? So we just couldn't find a common language with them until we came up with Tokyo Disney Seas, which is very much like Tokyo Disneyland, except with water and with different kinds of adventures. But that they wanted everything to be finished all the way around, right? They wanted everything to be as rich or richer than Disneyland. And for their audience, they were absolutely right. That was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. We love finding Easter eggs that Imagineers put into Disney attractions, whether it's you know nods to Country Bears and Mr. Toad in Winnie the Pooh or Harrison Hightower or Hidden Mickeys. What are some of your favorite Easter eggs? Oh, boy. I need help. 
(laughs) (laughs) The biggest Easter egg in my career is that we had the pattern of Mickey's face over the Disney Hollywood Studios when we first built it. If you look at it in an aerial photograph, you can still see that the lake in the middle of the park is the shape of one of Mickey's ears. And the center planter in that park is the oval shape of Mickey's nose. Then the eyes are in the planters. You have to look at an aerial photograph to see it. You can't really see it from the ground. What? Jeffrey, Uh, did you know that? I did not know that. Uh, That's amazing. (laughs) Historical gems here. And it's it's changed over the years as we've expanded and, and moved things around. But it is there. You can see it. Wow. That may be the ultimate hidden Mickey of any place. Wow. Oh, I love that. And it's so yeah. large. It's probably too big to see. It's exactly. big. You have to be in space. You have to be in the space station or something to see it. <laughs> Eat at Space 220. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, there are four tower-like attractions in the parks, counting guardians. Time to pick a favorite kid again. Which one is your favorite and why? <laughs> of tower attractions. Well, there I have to be a bit of a purist and say that because I was on the development team of the Tower of Terror, the original yes. one at Disney Hollywood Studios, it will always be close to my heart. And it was a very hard attraction to do. It was hard to figure it out creatively. And it was also hard to figure out something that gave you the true feeling of falling. And and we said, well, you know, what's the, what are things that would scare people? And one of them was you know, falling 200 feet. That scares scares most people. And um, we're all about safety. We're all about reliability. And so in the earliest iterations of the Tower of Terror, our ride design was more like a roller coaster. It was more like a roller coaster that came down and ran out, like these free fall attractions you see in in other parks. Hmm. You kind of end up on your back after you run out. Whoa! And, <laughs> wow! And and they're fun, but we said you know, but it's not an elevator. You don't turn on your back on an elevator. It's it's you, oh, know, you just come not. straight that down. That would be weird. And yeah. so um, we had some great discussion about it. And one time, one of the great engineers in this company came in and said, you know, you're trying to do an elevator. What if we just go talk to elevator people? <laughs> A little too <laughs> obvious, right? So we went to an elevator company, and they had at their facility, a giant test tower that they ran elevators, high-rise elevators, much higher than we needed. But they said, if you come down here and get in our test tower in an elevator, we can scare you to death with how fast that can move. And so we said, okay, we game is on. And uh, we went there and we went up to the top and we're really ready for something, you know. And there's a guy operating it manually so that he can accelerate it faster than they ever allow it to oh, be done gosh. in the building. And he accelerates this thing, and we get to the bottom, and the doors open, and he screamed. He screamed on the way down. The elevator guy did. (laughs) Wow. Surprised himself. (laughs) And we got to the bottom, and the doors open, and all the elevator engineers were out there, and the Disney people were inside the elevator, and we said, it's not fast enough. Oh! And they were shocked. And we said, no, it's not fast enough, because you don't feel it enough to be a thrill ride. So it turned out that the only way we could do it is you don't drop. The elevator is pulled at a speed faster than gravity, which is where you really get that lifting feeling in your stomach and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it falls at a faster rate than gravity, which is kind of fun because it means if you threw a coin off the building or you took the elevator, the elevator will get you there first. So it's good to know. (laughs) Wow. That is spectacular. really fast. I wonder why it's such a thrill. That's that's my all-time yeah. favorite attraction. Yeah, me too. Me <laughs> yeah. too. And I like the mystery of the uh, the Twilight Zone. I certainly like Guardians of the Galaxy at, and what we did at uh, at Freefall. 
but I, I love the old uh, version of it at uh, the studio also. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's so great. Is there an attraction you love that you weren't part of that you wished you could have been? Oh, there are. There's at least two that instantly come to mind, which I absolutely love. And one of them is the Haunted Mansion. Mm. And I've loved it since it opened. And the other is Big Thunder Mountain. I love both those attractions. I can go on them again and again and again. And I think they're just both brilliant. Mm -hmm. Agree. Agree. Well, congratulations are in order. You recently got not one, but two honors, including a window at Disney's Hollywood Studios presented to you by Bob Iger, Mm -hmm. which full circle, since I believe you presented him with a window as well. And a mousker from Bob. And for those who don't know, mouskers are very, very hard to come by. Rare awards. Uh, Walt created them, giving them to people who made significant contributions to Disney. So, wow. First, congratulations. And second, what did that all feel like? And I, I heard that at least one of those was a surprise, if not both. <laughs> it's all a big surprise. But, you know, I usually always have something to say. And I did not have much to say because I was kind of shocked by the whole thing. And especially what a wonderful thing to have Bob award those because Bob has been a great mentor. And we worked so closely together on Shanghai and DCA, actually. So that was a great, great moment. And I'm still kind of absorbing it. But the tribute windows, which because I have a history in graphics here. The tribute windows are a really special tradition that goes back to Disneyland. And, you know, some of my most valued mentors have been given tribute windows. So not only the fact that I am going to have a tribute window, but to have it on the first park that I was really in charge of developing, the Disney Hollywood Studios, right there on Hollywood Boulevard, is really, that's a tear-up moment. That's a big thing to have that there. And then... As I'm adjusting to that, and all of a sudden he comes out with the mousker, which is this incredible bronze Mickey that Walt wanted to be able to award his own people, his own kind of version of, you know, an internal award. Only a limited number of them have been given out. And so it just just was really, you know, a humbling moment to think that they would award me that way. You know, we all respect people here. We respect people and we respect talent and we respect people's service with the company and you know we do service awards we honor people because people are what we're about um we're you know as i think i'll probably misquote it but but as as walt i think once said something to the degree of you can dream and design all the things you want but it takes people to make them a reality and so we do that as a company, and I'm always proud to do that myself as a leader in this company to award people who have done substantial things. So it's just a great honor to have that. Wow. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congrats. So well-deserved. We're going to be looking at some of Marty Sklar's archives. What are some of the coolest treasures that we'll find? You know, the amazing thing about Marty and this archive is that he kept such a variety of things and so much. We have an amazing paper trail, of course, of his writing, his editing, uh, multiple versions of every book and every, you know, every publication from Disneyland all the way back to its before its opening. Mm-hmm. And his words, his early writings about how Epcot should be approached, Walt's last dream, how we would go about actually achieving it. So many, many papers. We, we estimate about two million documents, original documents about park development. If you ever wanted a PhD in Disney park design, this is it. But he also collected lots and lots of things like 
tickets and the different kinds of brochures and giveaways and just so many different things, the little door hangers, you know, from the oh. hotel, from the contemporary hotel. <laughs> I may have open. those too. Just so, <laughs> so many things. Um, we showed a, a gold sticker. It's the, kind of the original gold car sticker from the opening day of Disneyland. And we showed it actually to the, to the Disney archives. And they said, well, we don't even have one of those because we understood that when they, they gave you a sticker when you drove into Disneyland, but then when you drove out, they scraped it off your window so you couldn't drive back in later. Mm. Um, so there aren't any in existence. And we have some of those. We have multiple tickets from opening days of parks. Wow. And then we have things just like strange stuff, cookies and toys and <laughs> stuff that's <laughs> left over. Cookies. Yeah, st- yeah, cookies last, you know, 50 years apparently. I'd uh, still if they're still them. wrapped in plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would, Jerry. <laughs> uh, but if it was had some branded element to it or some giveaway, there are some really important uh, brochures that not only did the archives not have them, and Disneyland's archives didn't have them, but Marty might have kept six or eight copies. So wow. not only do we have the copy, but we have multiples. So it's it's an incredible, incredible collection. And mm-hmm. everybody we've shown, Ken Potrock's been up here. To, we showed him a lo- whole lot of the history of Disneyland. We had Mr. Kagami from, from Tokyo oh, here. Wow. We, we took a group of artifacts to Paris for the anniversary for the parks to see parts of their own history that they've never seen before has been really inspiring for them. Yeah. And you're going to be able to see more of those on d23.com and d23 socials. So if you're listening to this, you can head over there and find them. Yes. Can't wait. Me too. Our, our stomachs are really vocal I know. today. As soon as we, you said cookies, even it's if you're 50 years old, just the cookie. Like, right. my stomach was like, Yum. I'm hungry. <laughs> right, well, okay. So, I mean, we're going to preface this to our listeners by saying that this is just a thousand percent speculative, right? Okay. But Bob, if you could create any kind of attraction around any Disney IP and money, time, space wasn't an issue or factor, what would it be? Wow. <laughs> well, my first desire has always been to create a theme park in space. So if I could do anything oh, I want. Wow. If I can do anything I want, I think a theme park in space is getting to be pretty the time, you know, because yes. now we have, you know, people up there bringing tourists up. So pretty soon we're going to need a hotel and a theme park. So that's where I'd start. What? I okay, love brilliant. That. Brilliant. Wow. I'm here for it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and there are so many incredible things on the horizon for Disney Imagineering, many things that you help set into motion. What is one thing that is coming that you are really excited to see come to life? A lot of projects have opened recently, of course, you know, between Galaxy's Edge and Star Cruiser. And we just recently rolled out the first of the new cruise ships, the Wish. Mm -hmm. The two new cruise ships that will be coming out, which are the sister ships, if you will, of the Wish, each of them are also incredibly beautiful, incredibly rich in design, but they're all different. They're all a little bit different from each other, different restaurants, different theaters, different attractions. So I would say, you know, I think I'm very excited about the cruise ships because the team that did the cruise ships did such an inventive (laughs) design, inventive development of those. And those were done almost entirely during COVID. They were almost entirely done on Zoom with small teams that were sent over there. There's a real brave little team that's done those and to make them so innovative and so great. The other one is the Disney Hollywood Studios in Paris where we've opened Avengers Campus, but we still have a lot more development that we're doing there, which is 
a little bit akin to what we talked about about DCA is it's really expanding that park and bringing it into its own. You know, it sits right next to a very large and beautiful Disneyland Paris. So that is still coming together over the, you know, the next several months together. Tron is going to open. We were very excited to do Tron in Shanghai. We're super excited to see it coming to Florida. There's just so many things that have come out, but it's they're all exciting. Yeah. Well, I can't stop thinking about a Disney park in space. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Also, one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bob, we love doing Disney favorites with our guests. So we will start with favorite Disney animated movie. I love so many of the animated movies, but I absolutely love Coco. Everything <gasps> about it, the music, everything about it. Yes. Great choice. And I hope we do an attraction with Coco. Coco in space. Okay, your favorite song. My favorite song is the theme song from Beauty and the Beast. Aww. Aww. Oh, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> favorite Disney character. It depends on my mood. <laughs> I often find myself thinking about myself as Captain Hook. Oh. <laughs> but like I said, it depends on my mood. They used to have a management program where you went down and you visited all the parks. and you, Disney as, Way 1. Right, Disney Way 1. And the last thing you got to do was dress up as a character. Ooh, oh, yes. And I won the jackpot. I got to be Tigger. Oh! And, so, and I, they put me out in the park, and they said, we're going to be out there for 20 minutes. You'll know, always have this handler with you, because you're not trained, right? You're just dressed up. <laughs> and I started walking around, and I had a bounce, and I was oh Tigger. As far as I was concerned, I was Tigger. <laughs> and I started running up and down the hub and around the streets and stuff. <laughs> and in the background, I hear this voice, oh, Tigger, it's time to come back. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> 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 they finally got me, and they finally took me backstage. So Tigger would have to be high there, too. Oh, oh my God. That. As a former character performer, I understand the immersion that happens as soon as you're <laughs> All these in... kids love you. You're yeah. like a rock star. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Favorite Marvel film? Oh, my favorite Marvel film is the um, first of the Doctor Strange movies. Oh. Doctor Strange, yeah. Great. Okay, favorite Disney cruise ship? The Wish. Of course. Big fan, big fan. (laughs) That's easier to answer this, the most recent. Yeah, but they're all beautiful, but The Wish is is stunning. Agree. Favorite Star Wars character? Princess Leia. Oh, yes. Good one. Favorite Muppet? Favorite Muppet. Oh, um... I feel like I'm on a game show. Yeah. <laughs> no prize, though. With no prize, yeah. Uncle Deadly. Deadly. Like, Woo! Now you know a lot about my personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Captain Hook. Captain Hook and Uncle Deadly. Deadly. I'm very yeah, in. Okay. Right. Okay. Favorite Disney theme park to visit as a guest? Disneyland. Favorite park attraction? Haunted Mansion. Favorite character to get a photo with? Bob Iger. Oh, <laughs> good yes, answer. I love it. <laughs> favorite resort to stay at? I would say my favorite is the boardwalk. Mm. Mm. And the boardwalk, because the, you know, I love all the resorts, but we've stayed a lot at the boardwalk and the cast there is just so friendly and they know us. And so it's just a great experience to stay there. Mm. Favorite restaurant in the park? Carthay Circle. Mm. Favorite Disney park snack? Hot dog on Main Street. Oh. I love how specific that was. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're to our last favorite, our last question. You've been with Disney a very long time, so this may be hard, but what is your favorite Disney memory? 
Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> My favorite Disney memory. It would have to be standing there and receiving a tribute window and a masker. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty Yay. amazing. Well, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We are sad that you are retiring from Walt Disney Imagineering, but thrilled to hear that you are keeping tethered to the company, and we cannot wait to see all of the exciting projects in your future. Thank you all so much. Oh, thank you, and congratulations. Yeah, thanks for everything. Can't wait to see what's next from you. Well, we'll see you in space. See you in space. Yeah, <laughs> see you in space. All right, see you there. Wow, loved having Bob again. Uh. I love that his Disney journey continues. Me too. And I really can't stop thinking about a Disney park in outer space. I know he was just spitballing. I know it was beyond blue sky. We're talking about outer space. But one day, maybe, hopefully. We'll see. You never know. (laughs) You never know. You never know. Well, thank you again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out d23.com. And we'll be back next week with more Disney news, Zynga, and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside Inside Disney. Disney.